Are you laughing now? Well, all right. Welcome to episode seven of Embrace the Suck, the only officially licensed, sanctioned, law-abiding podcast of APG, bringing you two cents worth of free perspective on the heavy-hitting lifestyle. I'm your host, Bill Hart, coming to you almost live this time from the Philippine Islands, where President Duterte has vowed to institute martial law if people continue to flout the coronavirus lockdown. I'm just asking for a little discipline, said Duterte. If you don't believe me, then the military and the police will take over. You know, on one hand, I, I want to think that it's probably pretty hard to get by if you're in the Philippines and people are telling you to stay at home. And then on the other hand, I think maybe maybe the Philippines is the place to be because these are Filipinos are an incredibly resourceful people. I was there in 2009 and they had this racket going where if you, you get a phone handed over to you by the people you replace, you know, for work and your, your phone will just get blown up with text messages. And what these people want, they want you to share minutes. They want you to share what they call load minutes on the phone. And then they turn around and sell them to, your, to their friends. So they'll say, oh, I want you to be my friend. I want the text with you. And then you give them minutes and then they sell it to their friends. I mean, they, they're extremely resourceful. So I don't know. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a good deal. Maybe it's not. But uh, here we are. So before we move on, let's get into a quick beard update. I'm staring at the business end of week six since beard reset and we've just about arrived at the point where you could call it a beard and not just an incidence of facial hair i'm still not quite back to where it needs to be but uh you know we're only approaching levels of maybe sixth grade camp supervisor at this point so it's it's fairly outdoorsy but still presentable to children i think is how i look at it so today we want to talk about uh topic for today russian axe theory russian axe theory a uh, a prominent feature of Russian military strategy. So I first read about this in um, in 1997 uh, when I was stuck on the USS Ogden. I was I was with SEAL Team One, and there was nothing going on in the world. So somebody's bright idea is why don't we put these guys on a ship and they can ride around, and if something happens, then they'll be there for it. So what really ended up was we rode around, and um, well, the uh, the acronym SEAL became Sleep, Eat, and Lift. So yeah, sleep a lot, eat a lot, and lift a little bit. Good times, good times. So yeah, I read about uh, I read about this idea in, in 1997 in a book called Inside the Soviet Army by a guy called Viktor Suvorov. So a little backstory on Mr. Suvorov. Viktor Suvorov is actually a pen name. Uh, his real name was Vladimir Bogdanovich Rezun, and Suvorov was actually the name of the military school where this guy attended. So he then went on to be with uh, with Spetsnaz, that's the Russian Special Operations Group, and then dipped out to Switzerland and defected to the U.S. in 1978. So he came over here in 1978 with his wife and one child. So in his book, he describes his experience a little bit with, with American culture. And one of the things he mentioned is that uh, he was really taken by American Westerns, you know, cowboy movies. And what struck him about these uh, these movies was that whenever there's going to be a confrontation between two people in the film, it would start with words. You know, this guy says something, that guy says something. Then somebody hits somebody with a fist. Other guy hits a guy with a bottle. Other guy picks up a chair. Other guy pulls out a knife. Finally, somebody pulls out a gun. And his way of thinking was, hey, you, you could kind of guarantee your victory if you just pulled out your gun straight away. Save everybody the time and the effort. And this is really the the essence 
of the, uh, the Russian axe theory. The way I read it was, if your enemy might come with a knife, only a fool would fight with his fists. If your enemy might come with an axe, only a fool would fight with a knife. Better to always be the one with the axe. So there it is, the essence of Russian axe theory. And looking back on what it was like to be around in the 80s, you know, if you were there for the 80s, you know that it was a little more than just big hair, bad clothes, and, and peculiar music. There was a real sense of, of, uh, of just doom, I guess, that if we have to get it on with the Russians, it's going to be bad, bad, bad. Looking back, you know, there was a sense of, of uh, you know, they didn't really bring that much to the table. You know, maybe they're hard, but, you know, ah, it's not that bad. And, you know, the press, they make everything bigger than it is. But in light of this, you can see where a lot of that came from, that if, if these people decide that fisticuffs is imminent, yeah, they're going to come big. They're going to come hard. And so, kind of looking at both sides of this thing, we can take a look at how we can make this axe theory work for us in not just this situation we're in now, but in a broader sense. So looking at the essence of this for our own perspective, they're talking about strike first. That's don't wait and see how things go. When you see an opening, you act, right? This is talking about using the best tool in your bag. Not this thing that you see in a lot of, uh, a lot of competitive sports especially, yeah, we wanted to kind of surprise them, you know, we wanted to come at them from an angle they didn't expect. We wanted to win, you know, we wanted to beat them at their own game. It's, it's a very American thing, this kind of come from behind, this uh, I want to be the underdog and win anyways thing. This Axe Theory is talking about uh, not, a, not a perspective of, of being impressive through how much you don't try or trying to conserve your resources or, or not looking like you overreacted, but about winning. Because that's what we're here for, right? We want to win. We want to come out on top in whatever it is we're endeavoring to do. So thinking about the logic behind this axe theory. So like we, like we discussed when we talked about the Boyd loop a few, uh, a few episodes back, the Boyd decision loop. The second somebody acts, whether it's you or your opposition, or whether it's just you waiting to see what the situation is going to be and the environment changes around you, the situation will change, right? Especially in a confrontation. The second someone acts, the situation changes, and you have to redetermine what will be the most effective tool to go into this with. So as an example, like when, when we were in Iraq, farmer comes in, he tells me that something's going on, or he tells me Carlos the Jackal is hiding in a farmhouse outside of town. I say, okay, if I act now, I could probably get out there. If I feel like this guy is on the money, I can get out there and I can roll this guy up. If I don't and I wait, well, what happens now? Well, now maybe these insurgent characters are watching this farmer that walked in and talked to me. They're keeping an eye on him. Maybe they act against his family. Maybe they question his family while he's gone and they decide to take off. I miss my window. If I wait even longer, maybe Marines doing daytime patrols, maybe they roll through. They cause the, the situation to shift to where now I have to shift my perspective. And eventually, if I wait too long, I'm right back at square one. So this sort of speaks to the importance of acting and acting in a timely fashion. Because the situation may change and the preferred option that you had, your best possible course of action is now completely off the table. Or even worse, the situation could, could change or someone could act against you and now you're in a reactive mode. And that puts you in a, at a distinct disadvantage like we talked about. So it's better to get out in front, stay out in front. Even when you're not competing in an, against an actual person, like now, right? We're competing against, in a lot of ways ourselves, but we're competing against a situation. We're competing against an unfamiliar environment, like with this coronavirus lockdown thing, right? We're competing against economic impact 
So we want to try to get out in front of this thing that's, that's going to offer us the best possible advantage. Okay, so let me give you an example of, of uh, a situation, not an operator thing, but it was, it was recent, so I want, to, I want to lay it out for you because I'm pretty proud of myself over this. So very beginning of March, I saw the news and they were talking about, hey, this virus thing is happening in China and um, you know some companies are even being affected in the U.S. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, you know what, if this gets any bigger, this is going to be really bad because then when U.S. companies suffer, the stocks suffer. When the stocks suffer, I might end up suffering. So if I'm going to be in a spot, I need to act now. So I had, at the time, I had this IRA that I was paying into. And, you know, you're not supposed to liquidate it until you're, you know, 59 or whatever. And I said, you know what, I'm going to, it could get bad. I'm going to bite the bullet on this thing and I'm going to sell it off. And I sold it off and I saved probably 15 grand that I would have lost. So I made a move and that left me a little breathing room. And now, for some of you that I know, you know that I just relocated to the East Coast. And as soon as I got out here, now I'm getting hit up by homeowners association. Hey there, uh, stranger, you got some money for us? Oh yeah, I, I would love to give you some money. Uh, I actually made more money than I should have last year. So then I'm getting hit up for back taxes. Now this coronavirus thing happens and work's slowing down. But because I put a big tool in play, I put a big weapon in play by liquidating that thing. Now I still have breathing room. Now, if I imagine what would have happened if I had not done that, that money would have all gone away. I would have got out here. I would have had to still pay out this money. And now I'd be in a much, much worse situation. And you know what the world becomes like when you get into a desperate situation. It sees you starting to drown and it immediately comes by and steps on your head. I already got problems. That's not another one I need. So comparing that, I want to compare that to an economic horror story that you're going to love to hear about. You know, People like to hear about people doing well. You love to hear about people suffering. So here, let me tell you about a time that I was suffering. So I got into Bitcoin, uh, cryptocurrency, way back in like 2014. I first started looking at this and I said, man, this could go really big. This would be great. And uh, I got into, into the Bitcoin thing and it was slow, slow, slow for a, a good year or two. And then in 2017, Bitcoin, as you know, it split to where they tried to branch off and, and build something that would run faster, more efficiently. They called Bitcoin Cash. So what happened then was if you held Bitcoin, it just branched off of that. And now, boom, here you have an amount of Bitcoin Cash that's based on however much Bitcoin you had at the time. I diversified a little bit. I sold off a little bit of this stuff and I got into something called Ripple that was supposed to uh, replace money that's being exchanged back and forth between international banking organizations. So long story short, by December of 2017, I had $900,000. Okay, well, not $900,000 in my hand in the form of George Washington smiling at me. I had $900,000 worth of ones and zeros in the form of cryptocurrency. The problem here was I knew that because there was so much, so much media attention on this that something would happen. And it would probably go down. That's what everybody says, right? Like buy on the rumor and sell on the news. I knew something would happen, but I didn't know what. I thought it would probably go down, but I didn't know what to do. Because as far as I know, looking at all these websites, as soon as you sell this off, you try to pull it out, you're going to owe crazy, crazy money. So what did I do? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. And guess where all those ones and zeros went? Poof, they evaporated into the ether. So I didn't come out of it horribly based on what I originally invested. But I'll tell you what, I didn't come out of it with $900,000 either, which, you know, 
I, I, you'd know if I did because I'd be walking around with like a permanent smile on my face. Like, what's he so happy about? I don't know. He's just always that way. All right, I digress. Let's step away from the unpleasantness of cryptocurrency and step back into this Russian act situation. In this current situation, this lockdown deal, how do we take advantage of this situation? We're talking about planning. We're not talking about what most people do. We're not talking about just play it as it lies or figure it out as it happens. We're talking about special operation style mission planning. How can you take an objective that might not want to be taken? How can you step into a situation where failure is going to be very, very bad if it happens to you? All right, when we're talking about that, that's actual planning. The way we go about it is something called backwards planning. Backwards planning. So we start with mission success and work backwards to figure out what we got to do right now and then what we got to do next and so on. So in a special operation sense, if I look at this hypothetically as uh, I want to be stepping off target by 4.30 in the morning with Carlos the Jackal lumped up and stuffed in my trunk. Okay, how do I get to that point? All right, that means getting on target to find him by 3 in the morning, right? If I want to leave at 4.30, I'm going to probably have to get there by 3. That means pulling up to the compound by 2.30. That means wheels up from our compound by midnight. Wheels up from our compound by midnight means gear check, comm check, and head count by 11.45. And that means everyone needs to be briefed and jocked up by 11, which means having solid intel and imagery by dinner and the list goes on. So I'm backing that all the way up to right now then, what do I need to do and when do I need to do it? And this also tells you if you can even get there from here, right? Because if I want to be in Vegas, say tomorrow, and I say, hey, you want to, want to get out to Vegas, win a few hundy at the tables and then, and then, you know, breathe through a gas mask for a few hours. Yeah, sure. Let's go. Okay. Let's jump in the car. When are we going to be there? Uh, yeah. It's, it's not going to work, right? So this kind of gives you an idea of where you stand. And it, it saves a lot of the guesswork of, hey, can I even pull this off? Do I have the time and resources? The other big factor here when we talk about planning is contingencies. Contingencies. People overlook this constantly. It's a very human thing to think that things are just going to go your way. All right. But I'll tell you what, you get out there, especially as an operator, you get out there, second you leave, things go wrong. Cars roll over roads get blocked, people are there, they aren't there, everything is a goat rope, all right? So we're talking about contingencies, we're talking about having a primary, a secondary, and a tertiary plan. So that means a plan, that means a plan for when everything goes wrong, and that means a plan for when it goes wrong again. Okay, so we could keep running on with this in a plan for a plan for a plan, but why do we stop there? Okay, because remember what we talked about very first when we said, when we said the second something happens, the situation changes, right? So when we're talking about primary, secondary, tertiary plan, we're talking about, I'm looking ahead, I'm thinking of what could possibly happen, I'm planning for these eventualities, things that could possibly happen, but at some point down the road, there's going to be enough permutations of this where there's not a way that I could possibly plan for all this, all right? Sort of like, why don't you make the whole airplane out of the black box? I can only plan for so many things, right? So what's a Russian axe theory approach to being totally off the map then without a solid plan? Well, one, expect the unexpected. Things are going to go wrong. You already know that. If you go into it knowing that, you already have an advantage. Two, know your business well enough to think on your feet. Things will come up. You will have to make decisions. If you can plan for what you're going to do and what you're going to look for when you get to that spot to make decisions, again, huge advantage. And then three, be ready to move when opportunity appears. Because I'll tell you something. This is hit, something I hit on again and again. It's not just the knowing. It's the doing. It's not just enough to have a great idea. You got to actually get out of the shower and put something in action. Right. So that's about enough for today. Um, if you want to take a look at what we have going on with APG, you can look at our website, 
www.apg.team. We've got the we've got that thing already rebuilt now, so it doesn't look like a community rec center website anymore. You can see videos of some of our events, and you can sign up for our Tuesday tip. It goes out every uh, Tuesday. If you've got questions or topics you'd like to hear us cover, you can send us an email at info at apg.team. And that is about all we have for this week. So, as the sun sets slowly in the east, I'll leave you with one of my favorite team guy maxims, when in doubt, overload.